You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to Terps and the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Matt Levine with Lila Bromberg and Jordan Gold today as we will start by talking about the NFL and your Terps and the Pros. We'll get to the WNBA Finals a little bit later, but we'll start with the biggest name from this past week, and it was J.C. Jackson. What happened with him, Jordan? J.C. was incredible this week, and I think we can go as far to say that he is the reason the Patriots are still undefeated and beat a tough, tough Bills team. He starts it off by setting the tone with the block punt, which gave, which led to Matthew Slater getting a touchdown, which was the Patriots' final touchdown. Um, then he has two key, super key interceptions. The first one on a uh, deep – both of them were on deep balls from Josh Allen. One of them was a little further into the uh, Patriots' territory, but both super crucial plays. And without J.C., I mean, the Patriots – I have a hard time seeing them winning. And this is a guy that didn't have too much production through the first couple games. And here, obviously, the, probably the biggest game of his career. So do you think he'll keep maintaining a game like this and and have that the rest of the way? Or will he go back to being quiet? I, I think it's interesting. He has been up and down. I think it was an accomplishment in itself that he was able to carve out a role uh, for a guy like Bill Belichick in his first year in the league. And that, you know, he was able to win his a Super Bowl in his first year in the league. Um, but I think that that's a team, you know, where you've got just so much talent that it's hard to find your place on. But I think a game like this gives him the confidence uh, to keep going. And, you know, he's obviously got support from his teammates uh, for sure. You had uh, Devin McCourty this week talking about him and just the performance uh, he had, which we'll play really quick. That's why I said they got to make up some type of award to give J.C. I don't, I don't know if it's special teams, defense player of the week, but uh, they need to do some type of combo, you know, I think. But he's another guy. When he gets on the field, somehow he, he, makes, he makes a play from last year all the way to this year. So it was great to see him go out there and make those plays today. So unfortunately for J.C. and uh, Devin McCourty there, he did not win neither Special Teams Player of the Week or Defensive Player of the Week. Those went to Kyle Van Noy, who also plays on the Patriots as a linebacker, and Josh Lambeau, who is a kicker for the Jaguars. But something about his playing time, his playing time was definitely down a little bit to start this year, and I think that's really – like last year he carved out a role partly due to injury and also due to obviously his very good play. But this year, like on the depth chart, he's slated um, behind Jason McCourty, who's a solid veteran – but, I mean, not really a difference maker. So I think that with the strong, super strong performance that he had on Sunday against the Bills, I think Belichick would be remiss not to start giving him an even bigger role as the season goes on. And I think we're definitely going to see that. And I think one thing that's interested about uh, J.C. Jackson is the whole thing that kind of happened with his draft situation. Um, you know, we expect – I remember we were doing – Back in 2017, we were doing graphics uh, for that NFL draft, and he was projected to go, you know, we were thinking around fifth round. I mean, some had him uh, higher, some had him lower, and uh, we certainly thought, you know, there's no way that this guy goes undrafted, and and he does. Um, And then he gets, you know, signed by the Patriots, and I think that 
the fact that he was able to fight his way onto that team and make the role he's had says a lot about him and the fight that he has. And I think, like I said, a game like this, having his teammate support has got to give him confidence. And hopefully it shows Bill Belichick that he can have more time and have a bigger uh, role. Uh, as a Jets fan, it pains me to say, I mean, just what another sh- shrewd move by Belichick, bringing in JC as an undrafted free agent last year. Like Lila said, I was I was pretty shocked when he wasn't drafted. I mean, this is a guy who has had some character issues dating back to his time at Florida, but certainly the talent has always been there, and that is clearly evident um, with his play so far in the NFL these first two years, and it seems like those character issues have been resolved, and I mean, that tends to happen when you uh, enter that Patriots organization. And yeah, I meant to say the 2018 draft, it was after the 2017 season, but yeah, it, it... This has to, I think, help him going forward. And also what I thought was interesting is how, like, those last two interceptions, the Patriots' defense that is meant to, you know, be one of the best in the league isn't able to capitalize on either of those. But I still, like you said, they stopped the Bills from really scoring in, in big territory and helping to win that game because the Patriots' offense wasn't really there in that matchup. Yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with what we've seen from the Patriots' defense so far. And obviously, J.C. was super impressive uh, – on Sunday, and I look forward to hopefully seeing that role continue to grow as the weeks go on because the Patriots are going to need it. I mean, Brady's obviously the greatest to ever do it, but at 42 years old, there's going to be games like like there was um, on Sunday, so they're going to need their defense to carry him. Matt is shaking your, his head right now. Who is? I mean, I hate Tom Brady too, but like he Joe is Montana, one of the greatest. Of Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback ever. Not a debate for today. Not a debate for this this segment. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice if one day Maryland football was good enough where, you know, one day, I mean, we would be graduated, but, you know, someone's doing this Terps and the Pros podcast and there's, you know, some great Terp quarterback in the league. Wouldn't that be, I don't really know if that'll ever happen, but that would sure be something. Could have been Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll go to a guy that has a lot of controversy around his name now, and he's probably the biggest name of any former Terp in the NFL. It's Stefan Diggs, and he had a lot of low production in the past couple games. This game actually had a pretty good day. It's seven catches for 108 yards and 10 targets. And it's really either him or it's Adam Thielen getting all the targets and all the receptions. And it's, re- it's really a struggle for Kirk Cousins at quarterback for the Vikings. And now there's some trade rumors that are going on on Twitter. Not really anything official with any reporters, but it's Stefan Diggs going on Twitter and Instagram, kind of sparking some some uh, of the, the fans to be active on social media with him. And it's I, I, I don't know what to make of this, but what do you guys think of it? I think it's very interesting the turn that, just in general, the NFL has made. You know, the NBA has been this player first league for a bit now where, you know, players are requesting trades and things like that. And I think that over the past year or so, we've seen that in the NFL as well. And it always starts with these social media posts. You've seen that circulate waves in both the NBA and NFL. And while, you know, it's hard to draw conclusions from these, I think that it does say something. Um, And so some of the ones that, you know, we had seen, some have been taken down. But, uh, you know, on Instagram, he uh, posted a picture uh, with Phelan saying, uh, my brother, no matter what, which uh, has caused uh, some speculation. And then, you know, he had... uh, also on his Instagram story, tweeted basically like a graphic saying three simple rules in life. And um, all of them were kind of something about, seemed like they could be about trades. It was one, if you don't go after what you want, you'll never have it. 
Two, if you don't ask, the answer will always be no. And three, if you don't step forward, you will always be in the same place. And then... That sounds like a guy who wants to be traded. <laughs> yeah, and then you have him on Twitter uh, with just just a single weird emoji. And then also, like, people were making a big deal because he started following a bunch of Patriots players on uh, Instagram. And it's kind of clear, he hasn't spoken to the media in two weeks, but it's clear he's unhappy and that both um, wide receivers are with that situation there. You know, like we've been talking about, they've been really running the ball. They don't really have a quarterback that's doing what they want them to do. And so they've just been ignoring their two-star receivers. Um, what have you seen, you know, while we haven't heard from Diggs, what has, you know, Adam Phelan been saying? Um, Phelan, he's definitely been um, – he's been a pretty vocal. He's saying, um, you know, at some point you're not going to be able to run the ball for 180 yards, even with the best running back in the NFL. That's when you have to be able to throw the ball. You have to be able to make plays. You have to be able to hit the deep balls. You have to do that. And we saw as a result of this, Cousins apologized to Thielen for his poor play that happened uh, on Sunday. And, I mean, the Vikings offense, to me, it puzzles me. I mean, you have you have someone who was supposed to be competent enough. Uh, I mean, they're paying him crazy money to be competent enough to get the ball to your two stud receivers. And it is cl- very clear through these first couple weeks that, it, I mean, one receiver is going to get the numbers and the other is not. And it had been Thielen the past couple weeks, and this week it happened to be Diggs. He has a great game, 7 for 108 on 10 targets. But, I mean, the Vikings score six points. And, I mean, that's just it's just not going to cut it. And I think that for Diggs, I think that he should try and seek some sort of trade because uh, this, this is clearly – I mean, Cousins has proven time in and time out that he – he, he is not a good quarterback, and he can't get the ball to Diggs and Thielen in the same game. So I think Diggs would be better suited on another team. Some teams that come to mind for me would be, um, I think the Raiders would be a good fit. I think the Texans would be a good fit. I think the Niners would be a really good fit. Um, also, I think the Jets and Giants could be a decent fit. And then obviously the uh, fan favorite on Twitter is uh, uh, the Patriots, everyone posting uh, videos of Belichick, you know, coming after him. But um, I, don't, I don't think the Patriots would happen. I mean, honestly, I don't think he's going to end up getting traded. But it's definitely something to watch and something to talk about and speculate. But I think that, I mean, this is just going to be a kind of uh, inconsistent ride this year for Diggs. And I think there's going to be games like Sunday where he goes, he has seven catches for 108 yards on 10 targets. And there's going to be games where he has three catches for 15 yards, like, the week before. But and there, there's no way, though, you should be targeting him only three times. Like Cousins just can't do it. He's He is not he's not competent enough to be able to get the ball to both these guys. And, I mean, hopefully he can he can prove us wrong because it was really nice to see the past couple of years Diggs, you know, grow into a, a real star receiver in this league. And it's it sucks to see that they can't support both of them. Plus, I mean, you have, like, a top – three top five running back in Dalvin Cook. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. The Vikings obviously play a tough schedule, especially when it comes to defenses being in the NFC North. I think that might be the best division in football. And you have to play the Bears defense twice a year, the Packers defense twice a year. And, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep on the Lions, too. They're pretty good. So it's, it's going to be tough. And there's going to be good weeks. There's going to be bad weeks. I mean, so my thought is this. I don't think that – 
Diggs is ever going to be that Antonio Brown selfish player who uh, refuses to attend practice and and makes a situation. He's not that guy. I, I was even surprised to see him making these posts, whatever they might mean. But I think that says something. If I'm Stefan Diggs, I'm coming off of my best year yet in the league. And that's the year. This was supposed to be, we talked about this. This was supposed to be his breakout year where he could be one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. He had such a great season last year. He was, you know, on all of these top 100 and fantasy lists. And right now, it seems like the quarterback situation is in Minnesota is hindering what would be a huge year for him. This is a year that he was going to build upon his amazing performance from last season, his best yet, and really um, establish himself and find that groove and get to that next level. And so I think that if I'm him, I would want to be traded. I, I don't think he's going to, you know, like I said, go to those lengths, but it's hindering you in, in a year that's supposed to be your biggest in the league. And um, it's just such an unfortunate situation with him. I talked about it last week. Like I was joking, like how much I would love to see uh, him passing with, you know, getting a pass from Patrick Mahomes or, you know, like a great quarterback. And I think that that's what he needs. I just don't think this is a good option for his career. Not only do they have a quarterback that can't throw, but he's splitting passes with Phelan, who has kind of seen the upper hand. And I think that a trade would be the best option for him. But Matt, how realistic do you think it is, especially with his contract and, you know, things like that? Well, he does have a pretty hefty contract. But I before we get into the contract, I wanted to go back and go talk about what Jordan said a minute ago, is that Kirk Cousins can't do it. And it mind boggles me now because he led the Redskins to the playoffs two times in his career with a team that was much, much worse than this Vikings offense is. You said, obviously, top 100 receiver in Diggs, feeling right behind him, and then Dalvin Cook is a top five running back. And Kirk Cousins can't get them the football. And I don't understand what happened to him and what kind of drop-off he had because he led the Redskins most recently in 2015 to the playoffs with Alfred Morris at running back, Pierre Garçon, and Deshaun Jackson at wide receiver. And the three guys on the Vikings that I just mentioned are all better than the three players that were on the Redskins with Kirk Cousins. So what happened? I think a lot of it with Cousins has to do with the quality of opponents. You see the Vikings, I mean, the like I said, the NFC North is one of the best in football, one of the best divisions of football. So you're twice a six times a year, you're playing three really good teams. And Cousins, the numbers back this up. He's great against the bad teams, and he's really bad against the good teams. And I think that we see that, and I think that it has become even more of an issue this year. And I, something has to change in Minnesota. I saw something today. Uh, they were speculating on Get Up on ESPN. What if uh, the Vikings try to get Josh Rosen? I, now, that's something that's intriguing <laughs> to me because I think Josh Rosen has, has looked pretty good with the Dolphins given the circumstances. I think if you put him with guys like Thielen and Diggs, that that could be something. But I don't think anything's going to change in the near future. I think that's going to be something down the line. If I had to make a prediction now, I'd say Diggs is with the Vikings after the trade deadline, and maybe we see stuff heat up after the season if you know the Vikings continue to commit to Cousins. And Stefan Diggs, we mentioned his contract. I believe it's seven. It's uh, five years for 72 mil. So... I mean, that's that's a big, big contract. Obviously, we said he's a top 100 player in the NFL by NFL.com this uh, or in the preseason. So he has the talent, but the money part is what concerns me for if teams will go and try to trade for him. Because I don't know if many teams can stay above 
the salary cap with Stefan Diggs coming to their team. I think he's worth it, though. And I think the reason that the Patriots have been a discussion is that, you know, everything that happened with Antonio Brown and now not having him. And, you know, it's the same thing with the Raiders, where they now have uh, a bit more money to work with um, and other assets as well. As much as I hate the Patriots, I think that that honestly of the teams we've discussed is the best situation with him with a quarterback that can really throw the ball and uh, really get him those opportunities. Um, And I think that he could be kind of a missing uh, piece for them right now. Um, And, you know, the Raiders are in that discussion too. Uh, You've heard about the Giants a little bit as well. Um, Do you guys make anything of him following Patriots players on Twitter? Do you see that as a possibility? Where do you see him ending up if a trade does happen? You see it more with the NBA, with all the social media stuff, with follows, unfollows, stuff like that. But I, it's definitely made its way to the NFL. And I think I think it's something, but it doesn't mean much. I mean, in reality, Stefan Diggs is locked into the Vikings for the next four seasons, including this year. There's a five-year contract last year being the first. And he has $40 million guaranteed owed to him. So any team that's going to be trading for him, is going to be taking on a hefty investment. They're they're going to really have to believe in Stefan Diggs as a number one receiver, which I think there are teams that that do believe that, and I think so. I think Stefan Diggs can be a number one receiver in this league, but I think that in the end, if he gets traded, he's not going to be able to choose where he goes. So I think while the Patriots are a possibility, I I, I don't see it happening. But like I never saw that happening with Antonio Brown like that. Bit of a different um, situation. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just saying, like, yeah. you never know these days. I think both leagues have changed where anything can happen. It's much more player-driven. Um, and I don't know. I just think that this is really a deterrence for his career right now to be in this situation. And I just feel bad for the guy, you know? Like I said, this is the year where you build off your best year yet and try and keep going up because I think that he has the potential to really have a huge impact on this league for a long time. And this has got to be hurting his confidence. I mean, at least, like, just try and throw him the ball. Like, that. those few games where he had, like, three targets. Like, clearly when you give him more targets, he's going to do what needs to be done. And um, I don't know if it's Kirk Cousins or the way that they're, uh, you know, on the coaching and scheming side, but something needs to change. And I think that, you know, it like we said, it'll be tough with his uh, salary to get traded. But I think that right now, unless the Vikings do something drastically to change how they're playing, that would be the best scenario for him. I mean, do you guys see anything changing with the Vikings? Do you see, like, any change-ups happening that could benefit Diggs? In terms of personnel, I don't think... I don't or, think like, it, scheming or just how they're scheming, working. Scheming for sure. I mean, I, I'm sure they're working tirelessly to try and get both receivers involved, but it just hasn't happened. But, I mean, in terms of personnel, I don't think anything's really going to happen. One, going back to the trade rumors, one team that I think would be a really good fit for Diggs would be uh, the Niners. And I think if you put him in an offense with uh, Jimmy G and George Kittle, I think that he could really thrive. And a guy like Shanahan uh, drawing up the plays there, I think that that would be a really interesting situation. The Niners had been mentioned a lot um, in terms of like trading for Odell Beckham, and there's definitely a need for them with the wide receiver position. So I think that that could be one team to watch if these rumors heat up more than, you know, just Twitter rumblings. And can I just say one more thing on just how Kirk Cousins has looked against the Bears? He was sacked six times and fumbled twice. Like, that is horrible. It was a rough day. Like, 
I mean, getting sacked six times, you can't blame all of that on him. But I mean, yes, it two, is the Bears, the two but... fumbles, I mean, that a lot of that has to do with, with Cousins not being able to hold on to the football. And, I mean, obviously the Bears, we talk about them every week, how they have one of the best defenses in the league. So getting to – and it was Khalil Mack. I mean, I think he's arguably the best defender in the league. So, he, I mean, getting to Kirk Cousins, obviously the line has to do a better job of protecting him, but you have to be able to hold on to the football. And I look at the Vikings' schedule, and it's it doesn't get any easier than it, it's been. It's been hard already, and really the only bad defenses they face are the Giants and the Redskins, and maybe the Lions if you think they have a bad defense because they're always in shootouts. But that's a divisional game, for and they play the Lions. They haven't played them yet, so they play them two more times. And I think... Obviously, the NFC North is one of the better divisions in football, and we see that already with how successful these teams have been over the past few seasons. So really just two games that the Vikings are locks to win are against the New York Giants and the Washington Redskins because both of those defenses aren't great. And the fact that the Vikings offense hasn't been producing the way it, does, the way it has the past couple of seasons, I don't know if they can even beat those two teams i don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the schedule but they play the giants the eagles the lions twice they play the redskins the chiefs the cowboys the broncos seahawks chargers and bears and packers one more time each so i mean it's just it's jam-packed with top defenses the chargers have a great defense the packers have looked good the bears the cowboys the chiefs it's really hard for this vikings team i think Diggs has to get out of there if he wants to have a good season. I agree, and if you look at it, like it's it's just ridiculous for the trio of Cousins, Thielen, and Diggs. Uh, that's a combined forty nine point five seven million against their salary cap in twenty nineteen, and it's the most in the entire NFL for a quarterback and you know two receiver duo. They're last in the league in passing attempts, second to last in uh, passing yards, only behind the Dolphins. And they're third to last in uh, passing touchdowns. It's just not looking good. I mean, and one some remarks I've seen is just it's on Cousins. And um, I don't – you mentioned Josh Rosen. I don't think Rosen is that good, honestly. He hasn't seen that many chances. But um, I think that Cousins, you know, while he you said he had that good season, I've never thought he was a great quarterback. He doesn't handle pressure great. I mean, he's fumbled 52 times in his career. Um and, like, he, he's had – like, while the offensive line has been an issue, in the opportunities where he has had time to throw, like, he hasn't been waiting for Phelan or Diggs to get open. He hasn't been accurate. So, I don't know. Something needs to change, I think, because when you're spending that much money on your passing game, this is ridiculous. I mean, and I think that the, um, you know, organization of the Vikings really has to take a deep look at itself and figure out – some sort of personnel change, whether it's a trade or getting someone in, whether it's letting Dicks go, but I just don't think this is working for them, and I, you can see that that fan base is starting to get pretty upset. So we'll get into Darnell Savage now, who we mentioned a lot last week that he is up there for the top in Defensive Rookie of the Year odds so far. He still is after this game. And a panel of six writers and analysts uh, for ESPN on SportsCenter, this was released. They released their top rookies, and this is offense and defense, and Darnell Savage was put at number five on this list. So I think this is, I mean, a lot of people are praising him, a lot of writers. 
and I think it's certainly it's it's the right thing. I think he's performed very very solid this past week, just three tackles, but the games before that he's been really dominant, and he's showing that he belongs in the Packers defense. And one thing that I want to play really quick, we had a uh, podcast with Sean Merriman, and he was named the uh, defensive rookie of the year in 2005. And I talked to him. I said, look, you know what it takes to be the defensive rookie of the year. What do you think of Darnell Savage, how he's looked and his chances? And here's what he said. And, you know, you were, you know, before that were named defensive, you know, rookie of the year. Yeah. Right now for returns, Darnell Savage is lighting it up. Do you think he's, he's going to be the next start to get defensive? I, I, I think so. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, one thing about Darnell, he's always around the ball, right? Um, you got these guys who um, that has a knack for being being around the ball, and I, and I don't want to com- compare him to Ed Reed just yet, um, but his body of work when he was here, he's always around the ball, and um, you know he had his first interception. Was two, was it one or two games ago? Uh, last game. Like, yeah, last game. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, people like oh, you know. Darnell's good. I said, dude, you, you haven't seen anything yet. This dude is around the football all the time. And, um, yeah, he he definitely be up up there, you know, if he keep on at this pace uh, for defensive player of the year. It's hard now because, you know, the gives the guys who get sacks. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's mainly who it goes to. But, you know, the way he's playing, and he's going to have enough opportunities because their offense, their offense is capable of putting up, you know, 25 or 28-plus points a game. That means he – a lot of teams are going to be throwing. He's going to have opportunities. So he, if he's not in a top three of discussion at the end of the year, I'd be surprised. I mean, that's high praise from, you know, a very, very good defensive player of the year who knows, uh, sorry, a very good defensive player from the NFL, you know, obviously retired now after dealing with injuries and stuff like that. But, you know, he was, uh, you know, the last Terp to get that honor. Uh, and, I think that means a lot coming from him. We've heard now comparisons to Ed Reed, to Earl Thomas. I think Darnell Savage is the real deal. And like you mentioned, it doesn't often go to safeties. We've talked about that, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, but I think he really does have that potential. Just the praise that you're hearing just from all different people around the NFL about this guy has to say something. Savage, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an all-around stud. And, I mean, we saw him – and the Packers defense as a whole come back down to earth a little bit against a great quarterback in Carson Wentz. But I think that Savage's play is going to resume back to a special level uh, this week and beyond. And I think that uh, there's a good chance for him to win rookie of the year. I mean, if we look at the odds, he is uh, at plus 333, which is the uh, highest odds right now. And in that ESPN panel, the only defensive player that they had higher than him was Brian Burns, who is a edge linebacker on uh, Carolina. And, uh, I mean, he's he's fourth in the odds for Rookie of the Year, according to Bovado, at plus 750. So I think, I mean, well, maybe Burns has played slightly better so far. I think that uh, certainly Vegas, and I think that the writers would also think that, I mean, right now Savage is definitely uh, the guy who's leading the pack, and I think that his play is going to continue to get even better. And I think it's also shown this year, just with Maryland football, how big of a player he was that even when he wasn't getting interceptions, just how big of a, you know, you see the breakdowns now with Maryland football, 
um, with just allowing so many passing yards. And you can definitely feel the presence of Savage gone. You can, even when he, you know, safety is a position that while, you know, you're praised for interceptions and, and different things like that, a lot of times the work on goes unnoticed. But he's a guy that's always around the ball, always giving pressure. And I think you can you see that in the league. And now you're seeing kind of his presence definitely missed with the Terps. And another for former first-round pick out of Maryland, DJ Moore, who struggled a little bit, and he's struggling without former MVP quarterback Cam Newton. So, Jordan, do we think DJ Moore will kind of take this back seat without Cam Newton at quarterback, or is he going to try and break out of this and have some good weeks? This makes me really sad to say, but, yeah, I think that uh, until Cam Newton comes back, things are looking pretty bleak for DJ. Um, he has seen a decrease in targets since um, Cam went down. Kyle Allen seems to be rightfully so relying on uh, Christian McCaffrey, which, I mean, that, I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the league. You, you should. But the thing that really surprises and honestly perplexes me is that you have guys like Curtis Samuel and uh, – Jarius Wright, who are out-targeting him. Um, last game, Wright had six targets to Moore's five. He Wright had five catches to Moore's three. And Curtis Samuel also had three catches, but he had seven targets. So, And uh, McCaffrey was the leader in the passing game. He goes for 10 catches, 86 yards. So I think that until Cam Newton comes back, I think that Moore, unfortunately, is going to be taking a bit of a backseat, which sucks because he started off the year so well with Cam, and I thought that this was going to be a real breakout year for him, which it still can be, but I think for now he's going to be a little bit uh, taking a backseat. But, I mean, the Panthers aren't going to be rushing Cam Newton back. They were 0-2 with him. They're now 2-2, and and they just beat a good team in the Texans. So Kyle Allen has been competent. He has been... I mean, really kind of the opposite of what we say with uh, Kirk Cousins. I mean, this guy has been – he's been really solid. And I think that um, I think that the Panthers are in no rush to get Cam back. And Cam has said he's not coming back until he is 100%. So I think this could be a little while before we see that Cam and DJ connection again. And I think that's a little bit unfortunate. Hopefully – I mean, we saw the week before, the first week with Kyle Allen – Moore goes for one catch, but it was a 52-yard touchdown. Yeah, let's not forget his one yeah. touchdown of the season is with uh, Kyle Allen. But, I mean, there's one catch that game. So, it's it, the targets are down, and it's not a good thing. But, hopefully, there can be more of those big opportunities like he had in the Arizona game. And uh, there will be. Moore is an explosive player. He's, he's a really good player. But I, 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 it's hard for me to see him, you know, continuing that, that pace that he had with Cam where he was getting – eight, nine catches a game and going for almost 100 yards with Kyle Allen because it's, they're so reliant on McCaffrey. Yeah, it, it's interesting, like, how McCaffrey has, you know, been used so much in the past game for them, obviously. And just also such an amazing zone. player. But, yeah, um, you definitely – they're saying that DJ Moore is going to be a number one wide receiver. Like we said, he's not seeing those targets. So it'll be interesting to see if that was situational things, that changes. But I do think that – Kyle Allen is a, has proven to be a really good quarterback, and I think that um, if they can just kind of work on that connection and sync up a little bit, I, I don't think that this is necessarily like bad news for Moore. I think he can still have a big year. I think it's more of a matter of like 
the plays and uh, just what's going on with different protections and things like that. I'm not exactly, you know, sure, but I don't think that this means that it's going to be a bad year for him. I think that he might be better even suited with Kyle Allen just because Cam Newton was not, you know, accurate. You, you saw him have more targets with Newton, but a lot of those targets, it wasn't that uh, DJ misses it was that Newton was completely inaccurate and those balls were impossible to catch. So um, I would rather have him with a quarterback that can really accurately get him the ball than someone who's just throwing him balls that he doesn't have a chance of catching and then making him look worse because of it. I think the thing with uh, DJ Moore is that he has to create the opportunities and the touchdowns and the catches for himself. I think uh, Kyle Allen's a quarterback that can't really throw the ball too far downfield, and that's why you see McCaffrey with so many receptions and so many just dump-offs to him or screen passes to him, and, and McCaffrey made all the yardage. He created all of that. So, And you saw it with DJ Moore's first touchdown of the year. He caught the ball on a slant and ran up the field and broke free. So I think if he runs some shorter routes instead of running up the field vertically, if he runs a little slant or a screen pass to, to Moore, he can break free and break some tackles and do some big things, and I think that's the key with DJ Moore. I like that point you bring up about um, how Allen throws the ball. He's not really a deep ball guy, and that's that's very true. And I think that's part of the reason why we see Moore struggling a bit because you know he is so explosive. He's such a flyer. I mean, he's someone you want to hit on that nice fly route, thirty yards, and he can make something happen after that. And we've seen that, but. They have a tough matchup this week against the Jags. That's that's a great defense. And, you know, Jalen Ramsey, there's been a lot surrounding his presence. I mean, he has requested a trade. He's out. I say that with quotations because who knows if he's actually hurt or not or if he's just waiting to get traded. But um, so we'll see if, if Ramsey plays. I mean, if Ramsey plays, that's that's going to be a real tough matchup for DJ. But if he doesn't, uh, it's still – the. Uh, the Jack secondary is still really good. So it's it's going to be a tough matchup regardless. We'll see what happens. I think it's going to be another game where they're relying heavily on uh, on McCaffrey. So we'll see what happens. I mean, hopefully he can uh, combine uh, what he did uh, in that second game with Kyle Allen where he, you know, saw some more targets with, uh, you know, what he saw uh, in that first game with Allen where it was just that one, but it was a big one. So hopefully he can... Uh, improve on those i just don't see like seeing this wide receiver you fading you of tory smith uh retire and then all the issues going on in minnesota you know both both the you know two best wide receivers left and Diggs and uh dj have been dealing with quarterback issues and you know things like that that have hindered their games so it's definitely frustrating to see because I think those are two of the most talented Terps in the league, and uh, it just seems like they're not really getting the opportunities. But like you said, they've got to make some for you know themselves, and hopefully they'll figure that out. Yeah, with more, I think it's I think it's a, a lot of bad luck too. Um, and I th- the Panthers believe in DJ Moore. There's a reason why they drafted him where they did, and there's a reason why he was projected and started to have such a, a great season. And I think that um, I think that I'm sure. The Panthers are, you know, working schemes up this week, trying to figure out how to get him the ball because it's clear he's the he's the best pass catcher they have outside of McCaffrey. If you want to, you know, count him as a pass catcher, and they definitely want to get him the ball, and they're not going to be able to do what they want to do this season without DJ Moore being a key cog to that offense. And a teammate of DJ Moore is Jermaine Carter, who had a good day with six tackles and one tackle for loss, but then. 
took his game to Twitter against uh, it was Deshaun Watson, the quarterback for the Houston Texans, who ran into the end zone for a touchdown and waved his finger saying, no, 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 not today, like Dikembe Mutombo. He waved his finger at Jermaine Carter, and then Jermaine Carter tweeted at uh, Deshaun Watson saying, hold the L because the Patriots, uh, excuse me, the Panthers won the game. So did you think anything of that? Is that something interesting to you, Jordan? It's funny. I like to see I like to see Carter uh, sticking up for himself because, you know, people were kind of, you know, making fun of him because of that Watson celebration and just, you know, watching stature. But Carter had a really good game, and the Panthers won. So I think his, uh, his retribution was uh, certainly warranted. And, you know, Carter, he's had, he's had some really nice games this year. He's proven to be more than a special teams guy, and I hope to continue to see him uh, falling out on that uh, Panthers D-line. I just want to point out, like, Jermaine's Carter, his, Jermaine Carter, his uh, Twitter is, like, one of my favorites of any Terp in the league. Yeah, he's got a great Twitter. Um, it can be a bit savage sometimes. Uh, when Maryland was not doing well against Penn State, like, he was going off. Um, he was dissing Josh Jackson a bit, saying we can't block a soul, uh, tweeting memes about hating Penn State. And uh, he's just kind of done different things through some of Maryland's games. He's just uh, very out there with his Twitter. He's clearly a big personality, and I think that you're starting to uh, see more of that from him as he gains some confidence that he is really just, like, going after on Twitter and trying to become a bigger personality uh, for himself, which I think is really fun to see. And we'll move right into the WNBA, which... They're two games into the WNBA Finals. The series between the Washington Mystics and the Connecticut Sun is even at one. And the best player on the Mystics, Elena Deladon, got hurt last night in the game. Or it would be two nights when this podcast comes out. So, I mean, this series has been a lot uh, headlined by a lot of Terps. In game one, 53 points of the 181 total points were scored from former Maryland players. And that's nearly 30% of the points. So... I mean, that just shows the success that former women's basketball players from Maryland have in this league. Yeah, and you have, uh, you know, Coach Brenda Freeze at all the games. A lot of the players have been at the games showing their support, which is really fun to see. Um, Alyssa Thomas and Chrissy Tolliver especially have just been killing it so far. Uh, Chrissy Tolliver is averaging 50.5 points per game and six assists per, per game. And then Alyssa Thomas... Um, she had 20, is averaging 20.5 points per game, nine rebounds per game, and six, six assists per game, and she got sat, shouted out by one of the best. Um, yeah, I love to see uh, LeBron tweeting about uh, Alyssa Thomas. He quote tweets a Holly Rowe tweet, which uh, talked about how her nickname since Maryland has been Baby Braun and talking about uh, some of the moves she's learned from watching LeBron. And LeBron says, love it. I see you, Alyssa. By the way, I have more counters for you, too. Good luck tonight. So it's it's really cool to see someone like LeBron, someone as big as him, supporting a Terp and also supporting the WNBA, which has, I think, really grown in popularity a lot this year. And um, that, that was something really cool to see, especially with how well Alyssa's been playing. Yeah, I'm really excited to see the rest of this series. Um, it's been interesting to see, you know, two Terp-heavy teams, as we mentioned. You know, they have those five players and also, you know, a couple others that, you know, were transfer situations and things like that. And it's just it's just fun. It's, you know, I think for us it's easier to know who to root for because, you know, the Mystics or, you know, D.C., but 
I mean, with the Connecticut Sun, Alyssa Thomas is just killing it, and you can't not root for her with that. She's just looked incredible, and uh, it's been really fun to see, like, the sold-out games for the Mystics and to see the WNBA getting this kind of attention. And it's right here down the road from College Park in D.C. where the first two games were. Now it moves to Connecticut. But I'll go to game two as well. I mentioned game one. Almost 30% of the points were scored from former Terps. Game two was a total of 50 points, 20 rebounds, and 15 assists combined from the five former players that are playing in the WNBA Finals. So it's it's a lot of production from these former Terps. And really all of social media has noticed that. The women's basketball Twitter here has noticed that. Uh, fan accounts also. So really it's, it's getting a lot of recognition. One thing I want to point out, it, with the Deladon injury, that I mean, the Mystics are obviously going to need contributions from everyone because she's one of the best, and they're not the same without her. But one thing I noticed from looking at the box score, see, in Game 1, Tiana Hawkins plays five minutes and scores two points. And then in Game 2, after Deladon gets injured, she scores 16 points and has six rebounds. So I think she's someone who could... Um, could really step in and help with if Deladon misses more time. And we'll move into baseball quickly, just for a little bit. Not too much news, but tonight, or it will be last night when this podcast comes out. So the game will have already happened, but Brandon Lau and the Tampa Bay Rays take on the Oakland Athletics in the American League Wild Card game. And we said Lau last week was activated from the injured list he came out with a bang hit a home run he batted really well so i mean i think this is it's it's definitely the biggest game of his career as he is a rookie but do we think that the rays and brandon lau have a leg up on the a's or will it be a tough game for them and what do we think in our prediction there uh that's a tough one those are two really good teams uh, I want to give, uh, I think the A's come out on top, unfortunately, for Lau. I think they're a slightly better team and certainly a little bit more playoff experience. They played in the wild card game a year ago against the Yankees. And I think that uh, they could, um, I think that they could be a team that makes some noise. And I, the Rays could definitely win tonight. And I think that Lau is going to be a big factor in what they do. And hopefully for him, the season continues beyond tonight. So stay tuned for all the coverage on Brandon Lau and all the other former Terps in the playoffs for the MLB, as well as the WNBA Finals and the next week of football in the NFL. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Terps in the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network.